So first, I just want to thank you both for um, meeting and the opportunity to discuss this idea of how our queer identity and resiliency ha has been impacted and sort of shows up during the last 19 months in terms of COVID and how we've transformed and changed in terms of cultural pr production and also just relationships and navigating power dynamics from that viewpoint or from that stance, kind of like what has changed for you is basically the overarching theme of my story. But really, I just, I think that COVID is an opportunity to rethink our participation and how we show up. And I think queer folks have, have spent a lot of time naturally rethinking how we show up because social structures are designed to exclude at best, right, our experiences and, and sort of our needs and that sort of thing. So that's that's where I'm coming from. So welcome. And I want to start because I think that a lot has happened in, in terms of our, our use of time over the past 19 months. So I want to start in, an, in a definitely different way than normally happens with interviews because I'm, I'm going to ask you all both to close your eyes and take a deep breath and just drop in and think about what March 13th, 2020 was like for you. Like, what were you thinking with the impending shutdown, quarantine? How did it go when we all were sort of assuming it would be a week or two? And then kind of what happened for you in those first like three months? And how were you spending your time? What were you feeling? How are you making meaning? Kind of how were you responding to the beginning of COVID? If you can kind of take yourself back there and then you can take a deep breath and open your eyes and who wants to go first? I just want to thank you real quick for that breath and also that time to reflect, Shiloh, because, you know, we're so deep into this pandemic that we it's interesting to reflect how it felt in that first week, quote unquote, first week, because to be honest, I actually recall soon after New Year's actually hearing about Wuhan mm. um, and being like, oh, this could be bad. This was like January 3rd. And I was like, oh my gosh, they've been talking about Wuhan since like, like a few weeks now, because I was seeing it on Twitter because I do a lot of work online on social media. And so I actually, it was interesting to see little red flags and then to see it get closer and closer so that by the time March was around, I mean, I was on high alert already, already in February. And I remember in March, I was like telling my partner and even telling people, I was like, you guys shouldn't be going to work. And I myself, because I'm freelance, I had the ability to, to be working from home. I had a few jobs where I was in person but I was definitely feeling like a little bit of the crazy paranoid person by telling other people, like, you should tell your boss that you, that nobody should go to work. And then literally uh, the next day it was like, oh, California shut down. And the level of affirmation from even just my partner, but also my friends and beyond, because my family was kind of on the same page. It, I just felt really crazy for a while because I was like, how long will it take for people to feel like it's an important red flag? And 
to be honest as well, the shutdown, when they said it was like two weeks, I was like, it's going to go way longer than that. And part of it too is like, you know, just watching how it spread. But also I have um, an elder that I call my adopted German grandma, Karina. She and I had been talking about it and we were saying like, oh, this could go on a long time. Like just the concept of an airborne, possible possible airborne sickness and people's unawareness of like six feet from each other and how I, I just think my vivid imagination helped me realize we would be going for at least a few months. And then my adopted German grandma, Karina, was like, oh, it could be like a, like years. So I just think that my per, my perspective, it took a while for some people around me to warm up to that reality. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that invitation. Two words come to mind reflecting on that moment until right now, which is December 17th, 2021. And it's poetry and grief. So I'm actually in the house that I was in when we found out that coronavirus was actually an official pandemic, but I was on vacation. So I was in Portland, Oregon on Chinook Multnomah land with my ex celebrating her 30th birthday. And we were visiting friends and we were, we met cause we were working in a restaurant side hustle to We Rise. And we were like, we got texting, like, it was just, we kept getting little messages and eventually it was like, okay, we're not going back to work. So we went back to California and we were just like, what's going to happen? And both of us at the time were living with um, folks with immune who were immunocompromised. And so they didn't want us to come back home, which was totally understandable. Also, my grandmother was dying, not because of COVID. So my parents weren't home. So my ex and I wound up at my parents' house for like two months. And I just remember feeling like everything is gonna be different. Like so much, I, it's like, I keep seeing this image of a tree getting like fully pulled up by the roots, like all the debris, everything, like everything's exposed. I remember feeling like no trust in established government and thinking like, okay, we got to figure out how to take care of ourselves. Like right now, I know a lot of us have been doing this anyway, because of compounding crises of colonialism and racism and climate, but like, okay, now I just felt like everything got up leveled there's just been so much movement and loss and change for the last two years. So that's some of what comes to mind with that question. I think that's a beautiful image of, of a deeply rooted tree with all of its, you know, being pulled, yanked. Cause it was really like, I'm thinking about the tornadoes, right? That just happened in Kansas and that sort of visual. Cause it was pretty sudden in some ways. And it, I think it it up leveled. I like that idea of up leveling. I think that's really great as as a way to expose the roots of the pandemic and of the problem and of the injustice. Right. Thank you. My next question is uh, is similar. What if anything did you learn about yourself, your place, and what really matters to you? Because I think sometimes when we're going, 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 right. And we have all these plans and then you stop the power of the pause. And so it's like during this restructuring or this up-leveling or this exposure 
like being knowing Nikki too, and like having people see and understand what you're saying too, or what you're seeing and what you're knowing as well. And finally having other people join you in that. I'm, I'm curious about what do you, if you have any insights or lessons or transformations that you've gained over the past 19 months? I'd say one of the biggest takeaways that was like, that showed itself on a personal level was how fast we were all going. You know, as someone who is anti-capitalist and aware of how deeply conditioned our culture, our bodies, everything that we do, even our relationships are influenced by capitalism. I thought I was moving slow before before the shutdown. Like I, I had slowed down so much. And when, you know, California officially shut down and a lot of things were slowing down and there was like this collective understanding that things were unusual and we're all doing our best. It created more space for, for me to slow down to a level that I had never experienced before. Maybe as a child, I had experienced that level of slowness and expansion and space you know, with less responsibilities. But even then, who knows how much capitalism was influencing the way I moved in the world, right? And so just that level of awareness, that that much being revealed to me, thinking I was moving slow, and then the shutdown showing me how much more slow I, I can move. I think a lot of people recognize that. And that's also why a lot of changes are happening. And a lot of people are advocating for, you know, moving at a pace that is healthy and sustainable, right? So that was one of the first major things I noticed on, on a personal level that definitely influenced the way that Kat and I collaborate together as we rise. So our collective artistic media, collective making art media and uplifting stories and voices towards collective liberation. I remember in that first month, we we're having some meetings and of course, caring about the collective, we had so many ideas of all these things we wanted to do. And we're like, oh my gosh, let's do this project. I'm getting these ideas. So many in times of like struggle, we are inspired as artists and creatives to create and inspire and nurture the people around us. So we kind of jumped into that flow in those first few weeks. And then we realized, as Kat mentioned, a loved one passing, myself losing an uncle on my mom's side to COVID. We both had loss in our families. There was just intense grief across, you know, collective grief, the level of collective grief we were feeling. And also on top of that, the anxiety and the unknown and the fear. So this understanding that like, oh, we cannot create and do this work because we will burn out. We will also harm ourselves. We may create more harm for people around us by moving at this fast pace if we are not listening to our bodies and make and not making space for that grief. So we actually, as we rise, decided to have this what we call the chrysalis hiatus. Because so our our logo for We Rise is a blue painted lady butterfly because it's across multiple continents. I think six continents, not including Antarctica, and we hope we don't get to the level where painted lady butterflies are you know now residing in Antarctica um, with climate crisis and climate change um, but we like the idea of this butterfly this seemingly like common um, insect that um, is across these continents that like the, the deep transformation of butterfly can represent all of the above I could keep going on about the symbolism of this butterfly but 
to keep it to the story, we decided to go into a chrysalis for a month. We're going to not do any work for a month and just take care of ourselves and what is needed for our souls, our spirits, for our bodies and the people around us. And creating that space was so nourishing. And of course, the ideas kept flowing. And of course, you know, it wasn't a, an unmoving chrysalis or break. When you have that space to just not be responsible for things, of course, creativity flows and inspiration flows. And so to sum up, a big takeaway was that slowing down, hibernating, going into a chrysalis was so necessary. And it maybe sometimes there's an assumption that slowing down like thwarts creativity or production, I'm using air quotes, but it was, it nourished us deeply. It nourished our relationships and it nourished our creativity. Um, And it felt really appropriate given where we were at. And I will say, I just remember this, as soon as we were done with that hiatus, we were able to show up with so much more energy and focus. It was so powerful the level we were able to jump back in because by the end of our hiatus, which was kind of in May, George Floyd uprisings began. And so we jumped in and we were so activated and showing up for our community immediately after that hiatus. And we had the energy to do so. What I'm hearing too, Nikki, is that there was an idea about I'm anti-capitalist and I'm moving slower. And then the shutdown happened and it was like, oh, I I was still moving really fast. And so some of the insight is a different perspective from seeing the rest of our social interactions slowing down too. And then you, as a group, the two of you, or I'm I'm not sure if there's more than the two of you in WeRise. So WeRise took a hiatus too, which really slowed down a hibernation or a chrysalis moment. I love that visual imagery of like, let's nourish and and then let's go from there. I just heard this quote the other day and I can't, I think it was Bell Hooks, you know, because she just moved on and transitioned, right? And so one of the things that I heard anyway, this quote was that the opposite of individualism is nourishment and like communities of love and care, right? And I think it comes from her 1999 book, All About Love. I think that's a really interesting thing that sometimes we think too, Kat, in terms of being productive is doing, but sometimes being allows for us to be more present when we're doing and it becomes much more full and much more authentic. So my next question is like, what did you lose or let go of over the past 19 months? And did you notice any trends of that in terms of media production and cultural production as we rise? To be honest, my brain is still with the last question because I had things come up. Go there, yeah. Okay, but I can see if it, I'm sure it'll tie into this question too. I would say one of the, Can you ask the first question again, Shiloh? Just so I can respond the way that feels right. Sure, of course. What, if anything, did you learn about yourself or your place or what really matters to you as a result of the past few months? And then you asked about loss. So to weave those two questions together, relate the two words I got, I guess I'm just going with like words that are coming. Relationship became so vital. It always was. But I moved, I left the Bay, I left Huchin, which is like where I'm born and raised and We Rise is really rooted there in many ways. But Nikki 
being like the phenomenal co-conspirator and friend that she is was like, Kat, I just see you as someone, you're a pollinator. You're someone who's going to keep moving and that movement will actually strengthen the work. And I moved to Portland because of my ex, but I happened to be planted next door to um, two loved ones who are also part of We Rise. So Nikki and I like head up We Rise, but there's a mycelium of folks who are part of it. And because of the pandemic, our work became remote. So even if we'd been in the same place, we probably would have been doing a lot of work over the computer remotely, et cetera. And I don't feel like place is any less important than it was when we started. One of the practices that has sustained me in the last two years is most mornings starting by going outside in some way, shape or form and feeling how intimately connected I always am with the soil, with the trees, with the air, with the sunlight or the rain. And like that humility of like being, as one of our teachers says, like a grain of sand on the beach. Because then the other word that comes to mind, I guess, is the unknown. I was so scared at the beginning. And also to be super real, I still love this person who I'm calling my ex. We happen to be neighbors now. We were going through her first year of sobriety as an alcoholic, and I'd never experienced anything like that before. So it was our own little crisis in the midst of our collective crisis. And it brought up so much fear about the future. And part of what feels healing in the context of intimate relationships, but also just in the context of a global pandemic that, as Nikki said, like doesn't necessarily have a clear end in sight at a time when it's revealing, like we've talked about so many levels of violence and injustice that are baked into, you know, U.S. imperialism, et cetera. There's a lot to be scared of. It's easy to feel fragile and uncertain in the face of what lies ahead of the future. But I think starting to feel a relationship with the unknown as something that's generative, as something that's inevitable anyway, isn't there like, there's some quote about, oh, it's Octavia Butler, of course, the parable series and how God is change. And actually my ex and I were reading out loud Octavia to each other. We were reading the parable series, like in the beginning of pandemic. And so re getting this reinforcement of God is changed spirit, that there's something robust and to begin to trust that change is gonna keep happening and finding home in different ways. So we rise as home, it's place-based and it's not. My relationships are home and they change. My body as home, uh, my ancestors as home. So anyway, I could go on and on. I feel like I'm talking a lot, but those are some things that come to mind with the two questions. I hope that was helpful. I think it's great. I mean, have you have you seen the Marie Brown and Regan Toshi Regan um, Adrian Marie Brown and Toshi Regan podcast? They're they're doing the whole parable series. I haven't listened because I don't want to spoil anything. But yes, yeah, it's really cool because every they do every chapter. So like if you do parable of the sower, they do every chapter and and they ask really great questions. And it was perfect timing that they started that during this time too. So um, Nikki, do you want to add anything about um, anything that you let go of and or lost? And if you notice any trends as a media maker, cultural producer over the past 19 months? I'm kind of feeling in my body that I don't think I quite lost or let go of, of anything during this process. I think if anything, I just feel more affirmation around 
some ways of being in the world or being in this kind of culture and the society of cat naming the unknown or the ebbs and flows of how life can be. So pre-pandemic life, every as a freelance artist, an activist, someone who doesn't quite plug in to societal norms, I've always felt um, an insecurity in what most people find security in, right? Like stable job, health benefits, or stable income, or things that most people, if they're not freelance or an artist or an activist, that might not be something that is so uncertain. And, you know, a lot of artists will say, I don't like using these terms, but they'll be like, there's feast and famine seasons. I do have seasons of more abundance than others. And I've learned to practice and shift what abundance is beyond money. But I remember in the first, you know, first few weeks within that shutdown, in all the unknowns, I kept, I feel like I just kept affirming people. This is unusual. Nobody's going to be mad at you for canceling things or you know, if we filled out that thing incorrectly, we're just all literally trying to figure it out day by day. And I feel like, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, but even now where people were like so quick to rush to being back to being quote unquote normal, I feel like I'm just constantly that person that's like, we're in a pandemic. Like we're still in a pandemic. There's collective grief. There's still collective anxiety. And there's still so much unknown. And I feel like I've just kept saying that because, you know, I think people want to act like things are quote unquote normal. Like they want to go back to what they think is normal, but normal was never normal for me. And I think that's true for, you know, Kat and I and our collective and all of our people in our mycelium, like the people we collaborate with, the people, our loved ones, the people we are in our freedom school with, the people that we just talk for hours and hours. We dream about different ways of living and so I I don't think I've ever I have lost or let go of anything because I think I just have been living in community that know that there's alternative ways of living and that we've been working on building that and making that happen even though like mainstream or hegemonic cultures don't know it you know there's so many of us who are working towards that every day and I think it's just more of an affirmation that now other people who who are feeling, even though it is scary, right, who are feeling this unknowingness and like we need to rebuild or redo the way that we are moving through the world. For a, lo- for a lot of us who've been dreaming of alternative ways of living, it's just an affirmation. And also it's like almost making it possible for, for people like us to actually create more change because of this kind of like bend in the matrix quote unquote, there's like this bend in the matrix and it's COVID creating this stress and revealing all the flaws in the the coding in the system that existed for so long. And yet for some people, they needed that kind of shakeup to, to think that we can shut down and we can make big changes to take care of each other. And that almost that the scariness and unknowingness is an opportunity for us to find common ground and connect with people we, we probably felt like weren't our people before the pandemic like this is an opportunity for us to rebuild relationship with each other and vision and create another future for multiple futures for all of us that can support and sustain and nourish all of us yeah I mean I couldn't have said it better in terms of what I was trying to get at with this the the reason why I started this is I feel like people are talking about going to this mythical back to normal when most of us that that wasn't a normal anyway and so 
like and 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 this break in the matrix right or this this virus right if we take that metaphor all the way this virus it has really exposed things that people have conveniently ignored or suppressed or repressed or been distracted by other things so when those distractions are removed and you just have to be for a minute and sit in the place where you are the context where you are it makes things pretty clear and it's such a beautiful time for transformation and i don't want us to forget those insights and lessons of how we can be with each other now like we we know this right and and we we did it and let's not forget it also what you just said too i'm like i feel like i keep naming you know in all the emails right all of us are virtual now or in all the communications i'm like I hope you're taking care during this deeply transformational time. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it that way. Obviously, yes, it's a it's a time of great loss and grief. I'm Filipino, and so I have a lot of family on the front lines and the hospitals as nurses. There's a lot of unknown numbers about how many of my people are dying on these front lines. And also back in the motherlands, like it's terrible over there. And it's, there's a collective loss and grief. And yet also it's a spiritual, cultural death as well. It's an end of an era. It is deeply transformational either way. And we can realize and we have the ability to realize that we have autonomy through this transformational time. And I appreciate you naming that. Like if we remember it, it can, all, it can lead to a lot of more beautiful futures that hold all of us. Thank you again for speaking it so clearly. How does your queer identity inform your work and your perspective? Just in general, it doesn't have to have anything to do with Miss Rona and her cousins. It can just be how does it how does it inform like your purpose and your perspective? See it in my mind so clearly. And one way I can explain it is that I have such an appreciation for spectrum. I remember in my early 20s, amongst all the things as an artist, dancer, educator, collaborator, all the things, I also do dance. I teach dance. I collaborate through dance. And I remember when I was in my 20s and going through a lot of growth, having the space to tap into the spectrum of feelings and emotions and expression through dance and finding myself having an amazing time channeling anger because surprise, surprise, in this culture, as a femme, somewhat petite, Asian person in this culture, I've been conditioned to not be angry or take up space. And how amazing it was to channel not just anger, but the whole spectrum of emotions in a big way on a dance floor. And it helped me really just embody my full spectrum of myself as a person. And it made me see the world in spectrums and nuance, whether it's relationships, people, identity, how we engage with each other. And I think moving through the world with this understanding of spectrums and appreciation for spectrums and nuance makes me a more empathetic person and an adaptable person. And I always share with people that I think one of my strengths is like as a middle sibling and like from a culture of more collectivism, I feel like my strength is being connective tissue in collaboration, in society, in, in the classroom, in relationships. I feel like I thrive as connective tissue. And I think the ability to see spectrums in people and relationships and the way we could be in the world is just much more infinite than, you know, this culture of binaries. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'm like, I don't really need to answer any of these questions because Nikki's responses are so vivid <laughs> and illuminating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can add a few things though. Just like the refrain that I keep hearing is we take care of we. And that has been something that cropped up since summer 2020 and obviously is ancient. And I feel is really reinforced by my queer community, friends, chosen family. I feel like in some ways I'm someone who has straddled, all of us do in different moments, straddled worlds and was really conditioned and socialized to like get that full-time job with benefits, go to college, have a one life partner. And as a cis woman, it should be a cis man. And I still get caught up in that illusion of like, those are the things I'm quote, supposed to be doing. <laughs> One of the most healing things that has happened in this move many miles north of the Bay where I'm born and raised is that I found this incredible rad, anti-Zionist, anti-racist, queer Jewish community. And I'm someone who's a descendant of Holocaust survivors. From that trauma, there was assimilation that happened. There's a, there's a lot of details, but anyway, it didn't grow up with any Jewish practices really. And so as I've learned more and more about the breadth and depth of what it means to practice and participate in decolonization in this lifetime, knowing who I am and where I come from is so vital. And so the singing, the meals, the candle lighting, we have a loved one who just had top surgery and got to do like this impromptu ritual underneath a cedar tree in the park here. They've been recovering. So we've been taking turns going over and sweeping and cleaning the dirty dishes. They have time on their hands. So since I've been busy, they like looked up how, where I can get a booster shot. Just all these little things. And then I have friends who aren't queer who are also just like deep family and like they leave produce on my doorstep. Just all the ways we are able to care for one another and ask for support just challenge one of those organizing the nuclear family, right? Is this is how, as Nikki said, like hegemonic culture is organized. And I think that was like that similar to like one of my first impulses when we were like, okay, this pandemic is happening was like, we really have to not be organized like that because it's so unsustainable for us as like little creatures and also for the earth. Thanks for your applause, Nicole. I do. I think that organizing a social structure that's based on heteronormativity and patriarchy and nuclear family is not really, not only is it not sustainable, it's just also not really the norm of how people are living in 2021, about to be 2022. That's just facts on facts on facts, right? So it's true. Thank you for that. Okay. My last question for you is, if you have any words of wisdom or calls to action or any kind of last ideas or seeds or questions you want to plant with our listeners in terms, especially of like how to transform social structures into spaces and places where we support strong relationships and healing and just practices and the spectrum. Let's add that in there too. I'm looking for a quote. Nikki, if you want to jump in, go for it. Otherwise I can find it. And then I have some. I'm happy to wait because I'm excited to know what your quote is. (laughs) Although there are so many, but I think you know what it is. So immediately with that question, Shiloh, a quote that has been guiding us that we also learned, we got a shout out Anjali Nathupadia, who's the founder of Liberation Spring. She's been our teacher and mentor since before We Rise began. 
And she, I first heard this quote from her from Dr. Angela Davis. She says, you have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. I think there's something to be said for knowing and or believing that that transformation is even possible because it's really hard to move if you don't think you're going to be able to have any impact or affect any change. Also, Grace Lee Boggs, I think, says something like the most important thing we can have is a radical imagination or something like that. Oh, no, there's a time. There comes a time when nourishing our imaginations is what's required. Something along the lines of taking care of our imaginations. You know, Nikki alluded earlier to gaslighting. There's going to be folks, of course, who are going to discourage that. There's going to be folks who are going to discourage it because they recognize how potent it really is and are afraid of what we're capable of. And there's also like real fear, right? Like it's hard not to have healthcare right now. So it's tempting to, and there's a both and. You can have a quote, I want to say like quote, real job, whatever, like a job with benefits, have that healthcare and still be pushing boundaries. And actually we need to be doing that. We need to be working with those spectrums and those both ands. And also like, it's okay to not feel like it's possible to make change. We're going to have days when it feels impossible because there's such a level of grief and fear and rage that if we're feeling feelings, we're going to feel like it's inevitable. And so you can stop and you can rest. You can lay your body down. You can ask for support. I think like being with all of it is how we move through it. Thank you, Shiloh. That was so beautiful. Thank you, Kat. Uh, just to add to throw the seeds into the potent nourishing soil. Also, I share this with people all the time because I realized over the years that when I come in with ideas, I feel like I always say that we're sharing seeds or we're dispersing seeds, but like my seeds are like giant coconuts. When I come in, I'm like carrying all these big coconuts and I'm like stoked about all the things that are going to come from, you know, for tangible. Also, like if, you know, someone is feeling kind of lost because it, it can feel overwhelming. It's like, where do you start? I appreciate all that Kat has shared and just to, you know, deepen and expand and maybe give some, like, maybe some tangible things to, to begin that journey. You know, we mentioned that chrysalis hiatus, really spend time with yourself. We made time to be with ourselves, to reflect. And also Kat and I, the work that we do when we rise, it's deeply guided by our ancestors. Like the work that we do, the people we collaborate with, we are rooted by our ancestors. And it's not just our, our lineages, which is so potent. There's so much wisdom there, but also like our movement ancestors. I love interviews with Kat because she can recall many quotes that I can't remember whose quote, who said what. I know the quotes, but I don't remember the people. But there's so many movement ancestors too. There's such wisdom from people, leaders, lives, that have been doing the work, right? And we can learn from them. There are so many people with visions. Some of the work that we do in our lifetimes, we won't get to see the fruits of our labor, but it's worth it, right? Like I am so grateful for the, the knowledge and wisdom that can be found in books, that can be found through videos, the passing of bell hooks, like so many videos are circulating, so many quotes are circulating. So just wanna start there, like acknowledging our, our ancestors, from our family and our lineages, the lands we come from, because there's so much wisdom there. Remembering who we are helps us show up better in these deeply treacherous unknown waters that we're in right now, and also our movement ancestors. But also in a time of climate crises and like so many crises, so many front lines, you know, look to indigenous, you know, we're living in a settler colonial almost situation. <laughs> we're in a settler colonial situation. Uh-huh. 
we need to look to indigenous peoples and the front lines they are fighting for because that's right there in front of us. Like, how can we show up as allies to indigenous leaders? Because it's right. I think amidst all the distractions, we are on this land right here, right now. And as people, we have we have things happening in our in our neighborhood with our neighbors on the land that we're living on. And we can show up right here, right now. I think those are the big coconuts I'm just throwing into the pile, you know, to consider. I love it. I um, looked up uh, Grace Lee Boggs, who is also one of my peeps too. And I, I think this relates to what both of you are saying. A revolution that is based on the people exercising their creativity in the midst of devastation is one of the great historical contributions of humankind. Yes. Cool. Also, I thank you. I found the quote I was reaching for and it comes from, well, it comes from Gracie Boggs, but it lives in this little zine that's the first zine Nikki and I ever made together called Roots and Wings. For folks who aren't seeing what we're seeing, there's a page that says dream and it has a full moon and um, what's called the butterfly galaxy and like it's purple and there's stars and it has a lot of questions on it that actually Nikki just spoke to a lot of them. Like what if the US empire fell? Ask the question about what land are you on? But that's a question we ask a lot. Anyway, the Grace Lee Boggs quote is, there are times when expanding our imagination is what is required. I really super enjoyed speaking with both of you today. It's, it's like feeding me in this soul level. Like I think having these conversations about how to collectively, collaboratively imagine a way forward when it is, there is a lot of anxiety and injustice and toxic practices embedded in the institutions that we are at least tangentially participating in, if not more so like um, as a teacher, I'm more in the in part of that, those institutions. So it just feeds my soul to have these collect collective imagining and and also just naming what is needed too and recognizing that and remembering it makes me feel less alone so i really feel healed by the like love that comes from these kinds of conversations of imagining and knowing that we are doing this all in our own way and so super grateful to you both for your time today. And this is just so, so nourishing and so important. And so I'm thanking you so much. And I have so much gratitude for both of you and how you show up in the world and for taking this time with me today. Thank you so much, Shiloh. It's such a gift to get to reflect. And it feels like especially poignant to do it right before the solstice, just a really nice time to reflect because it's been a hard few years. And yeah, there's so much healing to be shared. Thank you. Definitely. Yes, just also want to reflect just deep gratitude and for the space that you created for us to just dive deep and also share out, you know, our reflections because while we have not had the opportunity to go that deep reflecting on this pandemic and how we've been moving. So thank you, Shiloh. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Be safe and be strong and much love. And I will see you all soon, I hope in 2022 for sure. Bye. Much love. Bye.